Hello, church family. I'm sure, like me, you're getting tired of hearing words like, these are uncertain times that we are living in, and some people are using words like unusual and unprecedented. But in some ways, this current season that we're living in really has become a caricature, an exaggerated form of the current era that we have been living in for some time. We've lived through seasons of unrest and political tensions and instabilities for for decades now. Economic ups and downs have been with us for the past few decades as well. Climate change, global warming are constantly in the news these days, although not so much anymore because of the virus. Immigration challenges, refugee crises, remind us that there are injustices in this world that we simply can't ignore. But this present crisis raises the anxiety to a whole new level, doesn't it? And in the midst of all of these challenges, we hear one opinion after another trying to make sense of all of this. So often when my wife and I are faced with a difficult spot in life, when, when we face a challenge of, of, of some sort or news that is unsettling or an opinion that simply doesn't make sense, we stop and ask ourselves a very simple question that brings everything back into reality. What do we know to be true? And that is exactly what John is doing here in this letter of 1 John. He is against the, the, the backdrop of uncertainty and speculation. And there's a lot of speculation, and even John talks about some of the speculations going on. He brings these people back to foundational truths on which their faith is built. The letter exudes confidence and assurance and certainty. In John's letter, this, this certainty is both objective, based on truth, that, that, that can be known, that can be understood. But John also emphasizes in this letter that our faith is subjective. It is, it is meant to be experienced and felt. We saw that so clearly in the, the opening lines of this, this letter, what we have seen and what we have touched and what we have heard that is what we proclaim. In John's letter, faith and truth are meant to be experienced. And in that experience, we are transformed and it makes us into different kinds of people. Today, we want to look at two truths that give us hope for these uncertain, some would say unprecedented, times. We find that at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 
If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We see in this letter that John lives all of his life between two realities. First, that Jesus has come in the flesh. We, see, we saw that so clearly in the opening lines of this letter, that which was from the beginning, that is the eternal word, Jesus himself, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and looked upon and touched. This is what we proclaim. God himself has lived among us in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. But the second reality, as he describes here, is that Jesus not only has come in the past, but that he is coming. All that John has to say here is, is framed between these two realities. And so in light of that, I want to focus on three words that, that shape the way we live these days, not only in a, in a season of this virus, but really that ought to shape all of our lives. First, John says, abide. Abide in him, which is a very familiar word to us as a congregation. We talk about that and think about that a lot. And now, little children, he says, abide in him. It's one of John's favorite words that he uses to describe this life that we are called to live. First of all, I love that he says little children. Don't you hear the, the tenderness and the, the warmth and the relationship that comes through those words? John is so pastoral in this letter, and it comes out of that, that pastor's heart that that is all through this letter. And so he says, little children, abide in him. Hold fast to what you know to be true. Over the years, I have seen so many people go off the track as they, as they follow one new teaching after another. Someone comes along with a new idea or, or a novel thought. And suddenly they, they gather together a group of people who, to follow them. One simple truth to keep in mind, brothers and sisters, is this, that if someone comes along with a new teaching or a, or a different teaching that is too good to be true, it probably isn't true. If someone comes along with a, a brand new teaching that no one has ever heard before, 
I would caution you to be very skeptical. Test it against what you know to be true. And, and John is encouraging us, abide in what you know to be true. This is what John wants his people to understand. Abide in, hold fast to, remain in what has been taught and what we know to be true. And at the core of that truth remains the, the person of Jesus Christ. John tells us that we abide in him. We will be, we will be transformed and we will look more and more like him as we abide in him. He says here that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. As God's children, we, we demonstrate God's character because we share in his nature. In other words, we, we bear the family resemblance of our heavenly father. We are, we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. We look more like him as we abide in him. But secondly, because we abide in him, John says that we hope in him. And that's our second word. We hope in him. And the hope that is that he talks about here is based in one thing. It is based in the certainty, the absolute assurance that Jesus is coming back. Yes, we live in him. We abide in him today. And, and that transforms every moment of our lives. But, but this even greater event, the, the second coming of, of, of Jesus gives us a message of hope that this world simply cannot give. It is this event that puts all of life, including this current season, in, into a, an eternal perspective. And that is exactly what we need at a time like this, isn't it? When my wife was in high school, she had a teacher who who kept a saying on his wall in his office that simply said, in heaven, will it matter? And when students would come in with a problem or something they needed to talk about and they're struggling with this or that or whatever, so often he would simply point to that sign hanging over his desk behind him. And it suddenly put everything into perspective. As people would come with this problem or that problem, Sue would say he would just simply point at that. And, and she said there was something about the reality of heaven and eternity that put this little problem into such a perspective. What, that's exactly what John is doing here. He, he is giving us an eternal perspective that gives shape to every single day. It's, it's a word of hope. There is something so much greater ahead for us. There is so much more than this, this present life that we are currently living. We are guaranteed eternal life with Jesus. And he says here that this hope purifies us. It takes away the fear of the unknown. 
the uncertainty of what is going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if you've ever realized it, but all through Scripture, every teaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus also includes a call to holy living. Jonathan Edwards wrote a number of resolutions that that gave shape to the way he lived his life every day, that that would guide the decisions he would make and the actions that would follow. And included was this one. He says, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. That's an interesting perspective, but it's an eternal perspective. Never to do anything, any action, any make any decision that I would be afraid to do knowing that it was going to be the last hour of my life, knowing that I would be doing this when Jesus returns. It's so easy to get caught up in the fear of these days, isn't it? But John says that our security as God's children gives us confidence and assurance, not fear, not to to shrink away or to to hide in guilt and shame. We don't have to be afraid. We, We don't have to hide from him in shame. This is the hope that the world needs to hear right now. This is the best hope that we have to give to one another and to the world around us. John says that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. You ever wonder what that moment will be like? In Revelation 22, 4, he makes it so much more intimate. He says, and we shall see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads. He also tells us that there will no longer be anything cursed. Viruses will be gone. Revelation 21 verse 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is so much hope in all of Scripture wrapped up in this one truth. The certainty that Jesus has come and the certainty that he will come again. And the third word that I want to talk about is implied in these verses. It's not stated outright, though it is certainly stated in Scripture. And that is the word look. Look for him. Paul tells us that there is a special reward awaiting those who have loved his appearing who simply cannot wait for the day when they see him face to face, as John says in Revelation. At the end of the book of Revelation, John concludes with these words. He says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
This was a familiar greeting in the, in the early church. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. That sense of anticipation, the sense of looking for, longing for the coming of Jesus again. Some years ago, I was challenged by one of my mentors to look every day for the coming of Jesus. And I took that challenge to heart. And I've never forgotten that. And so much so that this is often the very first greeting that my wife and I give to one another as we wake up in the mornings. We will look at each other and say, Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maybe this day, maybe this is the day that Jesus will return. I leave you with that challenge as well. May this be our greeting to purify us as it was in the early church. And it purified them. It cleansed them. It purified their motives. It, it purified their actions as they, as a church, as individuals, as a community, looked for and longed for the coming of Jesus. And it gives us the perspective that we need in these days. It will give our church family the, the focus that John wants these people to have. This focus of living between these two events, that Jesus has come and that he is coming. What would it be like to frame all of our life between those two truths? The truth that Jesus has come, which we celebrate at Christmas. And we celebrate at Easter that Jesus lived on earth, that God came near in the person of Jesus Christ, but that we also live in the anticipation that he is coming again. May this, this greeting of the early church be our greeting. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is our sure hope. This is the message we need to hear to get through these days. This, this is the reality of Jesus living among us. In a moment, we are going to reaffirm and celebrate that hope together as a church family through the, the familiar elements of bread and wine. And Paul says to the early church that as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.